Would you turn to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians 3. We're going through this wonderful epistle verse by verse. It took us a whole entire sermon to go through the first two verses, and it will take us yet another sermon to go through verses 3 and 4. But I believe it's best to read the from verse 1 to 4 together as they all serve as one unit of thought. So I'll read from verse 1, though... Our focus will be starting from verse 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Why? Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Paul, in this passage, is giving us this divine, glorious order. And he's calling upon us to put on eagle wings, if you like, and soar with our minds to the highest of heaven. He wants us to ascend with our hearts and with our souls far above the entanglement and the enslavement of the entertainment of this world. And the enticement of worldly passions. He wants us to, to, to fly into the very heart of Christ. Where we are most loved and cherished. And once we get there, he wants us to, to stay there in his blessed life with all the brethren. And then... To make every minute on earth count for eternity. This is what it means to keep seeking the things above. What does it mean to keep seeking the things above? Jonathan Edwards, great theologian, he wrote his, his version of this resolution number 22. Mind you, he, he wrote it when he was 18 years of age. And that resolution, I believe, is a great reflection of what we're talking about. Let me read to you this resolution, and then, again, I will paraphrase it for you to understand what it's saying. Resolution 22. Jonathan Edwards writes, Resolve. To endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. With all the power, might, vigor, and vermins, yeah, violence, I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. That is to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, I am absolutely dedicated to passionately pursuing my utmost happiness in heaven with all my strength and all might, consecrating all energy to attain heaven. What a resolution! Wouldn't you say? Would to God that he would stamp this resolution in our hearts this morning, brothers. Christians, you are not politely invited to perhaps consider heaven 
You are not to drag your feet into seeking the things above. Nor are you to, to do the bare minimum for heaven. Why? So that you could enjoy the things that you really love the most on earth. This is not what we get in this text. No. What do we get out of this text? Brothers, you and I are to throw behind this calling all of our health, all of our energy and joy and longing and all riches and all of our relationships. You are to aggressively nail to the cross all your earthly passions and dreams that would slow you down and then with all the might of God that you can access, with all eagerness, you are to keep on pursuing heaven until your energy is drained, until your health is crippled. Or Jesus will come and take you home. This is, this is such an audacious, bold calling, is it not? Now, if you're going to be committed this way, you think about it carefully, there is so much at stake, Right? So why should we do this? Why? Because to be committed this way, you know there'll be so much sacrifices to be made. Money to be lost. Loved ones to be offended. Crosses to bear. You, you might need to walk this path even alone. So why should we live this way? Why? Why should we live as though that we are dead men to this world as we live our lives on this earth? Why? Well, in our passage this morning, you find the very first word, this three-letter word, for. That is the word because. And then Paul would begin to give us three explosive reasons as to why you are to keep on seeking heaven with everything that you got. It is worth it at the end. What does this mean to us? Well, for me, I believe he's calling upon the preacher of this word to exhort you, to convince you and plead with you with much persuasion to, to trample upon your worldly habits, your earthly preoccupation and everything else that slows you down so that you would run the race all the way until both of your feet touching the finishing line. That's what I'm ought to do this morning. And by God's grace, that is what I'm committed to do. What are the reasons to commit this way, seeking heaven this way? Here are the three points in our outline. Number one, past reality. Number two, present truth, and number three, future hope, past, present, and future. We'll take it one at a time. The first is past reality. Because of what happened to you, brother and sister, that is why You've got to seek heaven this way. So Paul wants us to look back in time. And he says in verse 3, For you have died. 
to our stance. Meaning, this event has already taken place once upon a time in the past. It's never to be repeated. You died. Every single believer in this room already died. Accept this reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all will die. No. All died. You died. In what sense did we die that would compel us to seek heaven? Again, I know we looked a little bit on that, this point last week, but we'll continue as an extension to that. And I've got three senses as to what it means that we died. Number one, we died to the condemnation of the law. The scripture says that the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will what? Will die. Now get this, this is such an important and profound truth. In our union with Christ, we are so spiritually connected with Him, so much that His death, Jesus' death, is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. So when, when the Lord demands the death of the sinner, then, then the union that we have with our Savior when, when he died to satisfy the demands of the law, it's like we actually died with him. So then the law can't lay demands upon us. It can't con- condemn us. How come? The power of the law has been crushed by Jesus, our representative. Believers, followers of Jesus. How often do you meditate on that truth and this freedom you enjoy because of Jesus? How often do you meditate on this reality? How grateful should you be for his death for you that cancelled out all your debt and lifted off that sentence of death that was hovering over your head? How grateful. We're grateful, aren't we? If we are then we seek heaven. How? By seeking the one who reigns in heaven. The price to to free you from the condemnation of the law was his blood. Jesus died. And you died with him to the penalty of sin. And if you're truly grateful for that, you know what the outcome would be? He would captivate your heart. And if he did do that, how could we not seek him who is in heaven? How could we not? We would seek him, right? Second implication of what it means that we died is that you are dead to your passion. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified, that is dead, as dead can be, with its passions. Now what does that mean? Back at the time of Paul, only filthy, the scum, the riffraff of the world, are the ones to be crucified. And when you're being saved, when you were saved, your earthly passions were crucified. What does that tell you about those earthly passions? Filthy, scum. To whom? Do we understand, brothers, that the moment we were born again, when God took away the, the stony heart, you know what God says? I'm going to read to you a verse in verse in chapter, Ezekiel 36, verse 31. 
God says this. <clears throat> then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds. That includes your passions that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Brothers, in the very depth of the new heart that God has graced you with, you actually hate all worldly pleasures that pull you away from Christ. You can't. You can't very internally. Yes, in the passion of the flesh you do, but internally you cannot love what God hates now. You may try to, and if you dare to and it's exposed to you, you know what it's going to feel like? It's going to feel like you're drinking your own vomit. That's if you're truly born again. Let me illustrate this to you for a moment. You know, um, we're all hardwired differently. There are some chores that we don't mind doing. There are other chores that we just abhor, right? Now, for me, the worst chore that I abhor, I believe it's, it's repulsive for me, is picking up our dog's poos. Okay, uh, honestly, I would rather eat rotten cheese, breakfast, lunch, and dinner anytime, any day, than to pick up the dog's poos. Now, in the same way, we who are born again have become dead to our earthly passions. Any pursuit of worldly desires that stuns your growth will be like playing with this Manure. It's yuck. It's toxic to your new spiritual life. Now, if you don't make it your goal to seek heaven, what's the alternative? Seeking those worldly passions, right? Your, your status, your gold and silver, your position in a world that you're crucified to? Do you know what happens to the believer when he continues to pursue those things that now, deep in his soul, he actually hates? It will only hurt you deeply, brothers. And the cry of your heart will constantly be, Oh, wretched man that I am. Why am I pursuing the very thing that my soul now hates? Don't do it. Third implication of what it means that you died is that your identity is no longer in this kingdom that you died too. This is not where we get our satisfaction from, right? Now, what does it mean you died? What does it mean that your identity is not in his kingdom? Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live. Jesus made it very clear that if you would ever want to come to him, in other words, to become a Christian, you must be a cross bearer. Right? When the Romans used to crucify criminals 2,000 years ago, People would egg them. They would throw rotten food on them. They spit on them. They curse them. And you know what? No crucified criminal would ever complain or open his mouth. Why? He lost his rights as a citizen. He doesn't say, oh, you, you, you offend me one more time. I'm going to bring my lawyer onto you. I'm not going to say that. He was considered dead while he was still alive. 
He had no rights of his own. He couldn't lay any demands. He's, he's a dead man. Oh, and not only is he dead man, his dreams, his goals, his future goals were also crucified with him when he was crucified, right? No, no criminal on the cross when he's hung would say, when I grow up and be rich, I will do this and do that. When you were crucified to the world, get this, brothers and sisters, your worldly hopes and dreams were crucified with you. And so the point is, why would you seek anything earthly when, when you, the moment you came to Jesus Christ, you have already forfeited all your earthly rights to Him, when you handed over everything to Him, when you have abandoned all your worldly dreams and ambitions. Why Who do you want to seek it? Let me tell you. If you died, and yet at the same time you're pursuing earth, guess what? You're fishing in the wrong pond, Christian. You're, you're digging for treasure in the wrong place. Don't do it. Seek heaven. Seek heaven. Why? You are dead to the world. You were crucified to the world and the world is crucified to you. Not only because of past reality. Second point, because of present truth. Present and Paul now moves on and he wants us to turn our heads from looking back and now he wants us to look up. And he says, can you see? See what? And he continues now in the present tense and he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this word hidden is in Imperfect tense, meaning that our lives have been hidden with Christ and they remain to be hidden with Him right now. And He says basically, this is why you've got to seek heaven. Now what does this mean? What does it mean that our lives are hidden in Christ? Well, this word has two meanings. And both are true. The first, the word hidden, meaning concealed, meaning there is secrecy. Your life is cloaked, it's invisible. Your life is invisible with Christ. Invisible to whom? To God? Of course not. He's an all-seeing God. To whom is it invisible? To the world. What does that mean? Well, much like to the world, Jesus' identity was concealed, so is ours. Remember, the scripture tells us that the world had no idea that they've crucified the Lord of glory. And much like that to the world, so is ours. Christ was to the world was just a, a poor carpenter who didn't have a place to lay down his head, and they didn't know. They had no idea that every animal in the forest is his, and the, and the cattle on a thousand hills are also his. They had no idea. And so also to the world, our true life is concealed. Right? They consider us fools. Because we don't enjoy what they enjoy, right? To, to the world, Christians are the, the scum of the earth. Who are these losers who do door knocking? And lose all respect and dignity. What for? What kind of brain-dead people who would bless when they are cursed? 
Or who does she think she is to warn me from the wrath to come? You, you judgmental, you unloving person you are. Right? So the world would persecute us. They belittle us. They have no idea that our life is in the hands of the most glorious and mighty king who happens to be the richest and the wisest and the most important person in the universe. Oh, little do they know that your life is concealed with Christ. And the second meaning to this word hidden is that you're eternally secure you know when when you were without christ who did you entrust your soul to you know who yourself your god was your own self we hear it a lot nowadays self-esteem self you know I'll, I'll, i'll only be able to forgive you when i forgive myself which doesn't even make sense when you think about it But the moment you came to Christ, you know what you said to him? Jesus, here is my soul. I I can't save it on my own. Save it for me. I, I entrust my soul to you. You preserve it. You protect it. So Paul is saying here that your life is hidden. It's now tucked away. Far away, out of reach from from those who want to destroy it. To be hidden with Christ means if the devil wants to destroy your life, guess what? He has to go through Christ first. What an awesome truth. (laughs) Ought to cause us to jump for joy. Right? Right? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says, We are who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. We are protected by the power of God. How powerful is God? He invests all his power to protect us. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give eternal life to them, to his sheep. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is God speaking here. Brothers, when when you hear this unwavering assurance, when you have this confidence in Him, that no matter what happens to you on earth, Your eternal life, which is really the most precious thing to you, is untouched. Brothers, what boost of energy would this give us to seek after heaven? When we meditate on the fact that Christ is our guardian king, that he is holding you tightly with his iron fist, That you're always living under the shadow of his wings. That his faithfulness to keep you and protect you is your fortress. When this awesome truth grips you, what peace of God that would rule your heart. What praises, what shouts of joy to Christ would you have? Do you know, if we truly meditate on this reality, do you know what we, would, what we would say? We would say, let the devil throw his biggest assault on me. Let the world unleash its fiercest persecution. Let the biggest temptation show its fangs. Yet I will fear no evil. 
And you would say with the Apostle Paul, like he says in Romans 8.37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. All these trials are going to do is just remind you that this is not your home. Right? And the more these trials press hard upon you and you know that your life is hidden with Christ, the more you will long for heaven and pursue heaven. And you would say, Jesus, come back quickly. Come back. My soul longs to be with you. Right? Oh, one more thing. Because not only Jesus Are you protecting my life? But now Paul continues and says in verse 4, Christ is our life. He's the sustenance of our life. Not only sustaining, he's the very sustenance of our life. You believers, your lives are an extension and it flows out of his life. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Paul says, Christ lives in me, for to me to live is Christ. What does this mean? Because Jesus right now is our life. Present, present, tense. He is our life. Yes, there is going to be pain, problems, persecution. But yet, because Jesus is our life, it means that Christ is constantly nourishing and satisfying you in ways that cannot even be explained to the world. This is present truth. Does this truth not constrain us and compel us? More than that, it drives us to seek heaven. Seek heaven where your nourishment, where your satisfaction, where your security and protection are coming from. Not in a world that knows nothing about you, but God, heaven. This is where our identity is. And if that is not enough, We come to the third point and we see our coming glory. Number three, our future hope. Future hope. Now what does Paul want us to do? He wants us to shift our eyes from focusing by looking up and now he wants us to look ahead to our future. And I'm reading verse 4. Paul says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Of course, again, it's the union with Christ. He's revealed, will be revealed, he'll be revealed with glory. We will also be revealed with, his, with glory. What Paul is saying here is that you are to keep seeking heaven and to never stop. Why? Because your future glory is dependent on it. Glory is yet to come. Glory is our destiny. Glory, brothers and sisters. Christ was crucified naked, but he's coming back with dazzling glory. And he won't be riding a donkey when he comes. He'll be galloping in a white horse, right? He's no longer hung on a cross. When he returns, he'll be returning, seated majestically on his throne. No more suffering servant. No more. There will only be glory stacked upon majesty, stacked upon royalty. And you and I, brothers and sisters, will always be together with him 
in glory. What is awaiting us? We'll receive crowns. Our future inheritance also that is imperishable, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And even after the millennium kingdom, as God himself will usher in a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be this marvelous grass and rivers and mountains and trees and the, and the streets of gold and, the, and that capital city, Jerusalem, as it graciously coming down from heaven, landing on a new earth with its gates always open, which means that there will be no more thieves there. There's no pain. There is no sorrow for eternity to come. And the Lamb of God will be in the midst of Jerusalem with His radiant light and will live forever in this awesome place called new earth as we are going to fill it up with our glory as we are the children of God what a life it will be what a life that that after 10 billion years have passed and your life in the new earth has not even begun I believe that we focus so much and we teach a lot on, on hell and eternity, eternality of hell and the damnation and the darkness, but yet we don't give much thought about our own future home. And we should. Now, what's the point of this? If it's coming and it's guaranteed by the blood, then why should we seek heaven? We might as well just... Put that pocket somewhere, and when it comes, it comes. And in the meanwhile, I will pursue my own glory here on earth. No, brothers. No, not at all. On the contrary. Why? I'll tell you why. This is such crucial truth. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that what you do here and now will determine the degree of the glory that will be revealed in you in heaven? It will determine the degree of glory. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Do you know what this means? It means, brothers and sisters, it is possible for you as a Christian who will go to heaven that you will accumulate earthly treasure and yet you will have bankrupted your heavenly bank account. It is possible. Yes, you will enter into the new earth and the new heaven, but with the skin of your teeth. And all that you'll have is a little shed in the outback of Antarctica and Earth. Yes, they will be full of joy, but the fullness of your joy will be very limited in comparison to others who strive to enter the kingdom with their energy and might. We've got to know this. We've got to know. Brothers, pay careful attention to what I'm about to say. The glory of heaven, glory, your glory in heaven, is not one size fits all. It's a lie from the devil in order to make Christians lazy. And I fear to say this, that as much as unbelievers have no idea what the rejection of Jesus Christ will lead them to, so also Christians who have no idea what your sacrificial living life for heaven here have no idea the impact it would have for eternity. Roman, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen. 
pay careful attention to what Paul says. Paul says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Producing is the key word here. There is a strong connection with what you do here on earth and the eternal weight of glory. Whatever sacrifices you make as you're pursuing Jesus' priority, you know what you're doing? You are investing into your future glory. This is why Jesus says in Revelation 22 verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. And you know what? He's not going to come empty-handed. He says, My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So, as a result of this, because of the beauty of heaven, because what you do now will have impact in the eternal life that is awaiting you, you know what? You don't need your comfort here and now. You don't need it. Don't waste your life away. Give your life away to God, to the gospel. Make this little two-second vapor's lifespan a life of dedication to Jesus Christ. Not a life of accumulating wealth and health at the expense of your future glory. No, spend what's left of your life for Jesus. Brothers, brothers, heaven and earth, our home. Eternity, the future glory. You know, we're not going to be in some cloud somewhere. We're going to be resting in that cloud and be bored out of our brain for eternity. No, it's not true. Heaven and earth. This is where you're going to have hot chocolate, fireplaces, mountaintops, valleys, sand, seas, lakes, rivers, flowers, and everything this world has to offer, multiply it 10,000 times more, far exceedingly beyond what we ask or think. So you don't need these things now. You don't. Maximize your reward. Maximize it. Invest in heaven. Invest. A sister in Christ came to me last week and she asked a very good question. And she said, does that mean I don't buy a home? I don't have a mortgage? What does this mean? I don't work again. Go to work. Have as many investment properties as you like. That's not the point. If God wants to bless you with wealth like he did with Abraham, praise God. But don't pursue earthly at the expense of you chasing after heaven. Don't be preoccupied with the earthly in a way that chokes your usefulness to your master. No, rather the other way around. Let the earthly things be the means to gain more heavenly. That's the point. And therefore, with whatever sufferings and sacrifices... Make it your primary occupation to expand the kingdom of God. How do you do this? Well, first, you can't do it without enjoying God. You need to understand this. The only way to fight pleasure is with another 
more powerful pleasure. You've got to be committed to enjoy God's love for you. You've got to commit yourself saying, I will not allow my soul to be satisfied with this world. Don't just rely on a new heart and you say, I'm just going to play dead fish. Whatever comes my way, I will enjoy it. No. Rather, say to your soul, I'm committing myself that my daily goal is to delight myself in Christ. To enjoy Him. To enjoy fellowshipping and following Him. Seeking heaven begins with that. It doesn't end with that. It begins with that. And then... Live out this enjoyment with Him in a real practical way. How do you do that? Teach your children about Him. Love His bride sacrificially. Serve them with all humility. And while you are on your way to your home, gather as many perishing souls as you can. Commit to yourself and say, I don't want to go to my glory alone. I want to grab as many souls as I can on my way to my glory. Seek heaven, brothers. You will never regret it. Seek heaven because you already died with Christ. You're already a dead man. No dead man has any sense to the ambitions and goals of this world. Seek heaven because your life is hidden with Christ. Your identity now lies in Him. This is where your security is. This is where your assurance, this is where your joy is coming from now. And seek heaven. Because that's the way you're going to multiply your heavenly rewards. Amen? Just as we come to the end, I want to plead with those unbelievers who have not yet come to Jesus Christ and yet there is another warning to you. As loving, as glorious as Jesus is to his people, if you die in your sin, he will be wrathful to you. As he will assume that seat of judgment. And then he will hold you accountable. To every time you heard the gospel preached to you and in the very depth of your wicked heart, you said no to Christ. And every no to Christ, you know what you're doing? You are spitting in the only hand that could save you. Because every time you hear the gospel and you know that you cannot save yourself by yourself, and that Jesus rose, first hung on the cross and rose from the dead, bearing the sin and shame of his people, and then by his wonderful and powerful resurrection has forgiven them all. Transaction is completed. When you hear this truth and then the call to come to Jesus, and then you say, no, it is as though Jesus, through the gospel invitation, is stretching his hand to you. And you're spitting on his hand. And it's such a fearful, fearful expectation for those who fall into the hands of that God that you would spit on his hand. To reject him is the worst kind of sin. That you would ever commit. I plead with you. Every breath you take from this point onwards. Yet again. 
is a sign of how merciful God is, that he would let you live in his planet and would not yet cast you into hell. God is not under any obligation that when you have heard the gospel and rejected it, he's not under any obligation to keep you alive even one more moment. But it's his mercy and his grace that yet gives you another opportunity to come to him, to come to Christ and find salvation for your soul. You don't have to do one gram of good works for God to accept you. Come to Christ. Come to him and don't tell him how good you are. Come to him with your sin. Come to him with your pride and arrogance. He will accept anyone that will come to him. But you've got to come to Christ. Oh, how I urge you this morning. When there is chance, when there is still heartbeat, and there is pulse in your body, why wouldn't you want to come and enjoy having your sins forgiven and eternal life? I urge you. It may be the very last invitation that you hear. Let's pray. Lord God, would you put in our hearts desire? No, more than desire. Longing, eagerness. Place this desire in the furnace of our heart. And pour upon it fuel so that this desire would burn. That we would be committed to seeking nothing else but heaven. And so Saving Grace Bible Church and all of its people and members would enjoy the glory with Jesus Christ and all the brethren in heaven. Help us, Lord to decide to throw away garbage for gold, that we would throw away sand for silver, dirt for diamond, that we would seek you, Jesus Christ, who lives in heaven. And it may be our legacy when we pass from this earthly life to heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.